Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Roostrack. I'm here with wonderful guest, Jan Knotson. Welcome. Thank you, Melissa. It is great to be here. Now, you have the book out, Song for the Forsaken, and this is available on Amazon, and I'm going to guess also Barnes & Nobles. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and several other places. Mm-hmm. So, so what led you to write this one? Oh, boy, uh, that's quite a story. Um, I was an actor in a former life, and uh, when I got to where I couldn't stand life in New York City, I uh, took an opportunity to study for my Master of Fine Arts at uh, the University of South Carolina. And uh, I had written little scenes before, but uh, this young freshman gal came to me and said she wanted me to write uh, what she called a psychodrama for her and uh, uh, one of my uh, fellow MFA candidates. And uh, she was, uh, at the time, she was a born-again Christian, and I was a rabid atheist. And so I wrote this book exploring this, uh, pardon me, this one-act play it started out as, about two sisters two dirt-poor fundamentalist sisters in Appalachia. Mm -hmm. The elder, Mandy, having raised the younger one, Sorrel. And uh, uh, the the play uh, asks the question about whether a bond can survive the elder one, Mandy. Sure. No problem. <laughs> I love uh, dogs. I have one myself. Well, occasionally I bring my dog, because she's a service dog, into the studio. Uh-huh. And I tell everyone, I'm recording, be quiet, so they don't disturb the dog. Oh, right. Well, yeah. Well, what do they do? Oh, <laughs> the recording light's on. That means disturb the um, show host, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> oh, man. So back to your wonderful story. Oh, and it asks the question about whether uh, that bond, that really fierce bond between the two sisters can survive Mandy's complete complete loss of faith. Hmm. Well, I think it's not just sisters at that point. It's anyone can draw that parallel. Absolutely. Yeah. Mother, daughter, anyone can draw the parallel. Can you keep the bond that you have with someone when they lose faith completely? Yeah, and it, it, in my opinion, actually um, pertains to people who uh, have different ideologies. Mm -hmm, Of course. You know, they're really fierce believers in a certain ideology, and one of them starts to change, It's uh, it can happen there, too. Exactly. I see this with my own, oh, not so much now, but when I was younger, I have a different religion than the rest of my family. 
So, of course, I'm the outcast. Oh, boy. It's taking almost 16 years for them to come back around. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's a prime example right there. Yes, it is. And the story includes all of the family history over three generations that uh, that leads up to the crisis. You know, things don't happen in isolation. Right. They happen over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, the story basically explores the positive and potentially negative sides of faith, uh, how it can bind us and how it can pull us apart. Correct. I mean, we look at things, faith needs to be a inner battle. It doesn't need to be an external, everyone's business. This is my ideology. I absolutely agree. It's not a something for discussion. It's a personal choice. It's not a community choice. Right, right. That's more the spiritual than the actual religious, but uh, uh, yeah, but absolutely, you have to have free will, and you have to exercise your free will. That, in my opinion, is God given to make up your own mind. Correct. Hmm. It, it, it can't, okay. So, in my family, we have basically every Christianic faith in one family. Oh and, boy. So can you, you can imagine some of those arguments over religion. I'm like, but, okay, let's take away the name and let's look at the principles. They're mm-hmm. all almost the same. So aren't we all pretty much the same thing then? Yeah. But it, I'm different from all of them, and they're like, I'm the outcast. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm curious as to how that would happen since you know they're they're you said they're all of different denominations why are you the outcast because i'm more of a spiritualist than a Ah, uniform religion Mm -hmm. okay that makes so yeah i don't fit in a normal i'm an author i'm a creator i'm a creative mind i don't Mm -hmm. fit in a little box right so you talk to authors all the time. Our minds don't fit in normal linear linear thought. So, yeah, I, I I can understand what you're saying for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just look I look at everything like okay, we're people. Let's label okay. it at that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot less violence in the world if people thought that way. Exactly. Let's stop looking at the religious name. Mm. Let's st- stop that. Just look at the person and their values. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's exactly. my religion. <laughs> exactly. But you have it in a way that is a not so much true religion, but a story that compels people to think. Well, I would like to think so, for sure, for sure. Uh, And I think it does. Uh, uh, 
the two sisters' grandfather, maternal grandfather, is the deeply fundamentalist. And I, I read a book called The Fundamentalist Mindset mm-hmm. uh, and how that uh, tends to uh, produce uh, people who are not tolerant of uh, other conclusions, other beliefs, other faiths. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's how Mandy was raised uh, at first. She had, uh, there is also another character, uh, important character, an African-American uh, lady who was Mandy's wet nurse. And uh, basically her surrogate mother, because her mother was raised by her grandfather and she is basically lost in her religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can't function in the in the real world, so she uh, couldn't really raise her children, couldn't really love her children that way. Um, and uh, uh, her name is Aunt Loney, and Aunt Loney disappears at one point when Mandy's quite young. And uh, when Mandy goes away, the beginning of the story, Mandy is coming back from uh, hospice Mm -hmm. where she stayed with her mother during her mother's last few months of life. And it is that experience, seeing her mother lose her own faith and uh, seeing, you know, uh, there's a lot of question about faith in the face of innocent people suffering. Um, How do you reconcile that with uh, an all-benevolent God? Right. Uh, And Mandy, because she was so uh, fundamentalist on one side, uh, when she begins to doubt, she has to reject it completely. She has to reject all faith, all belief in God. And uh, so that sets up the conflict when she gets back to her sister. I can see how that would work, though. We all have internal struggles. Because yes. we see stuff on TV, we're influenced a lot by media, mm-hmm. radio, anything. Mm-hmm. Churches, we all get different influences and all mixed together. So right. we see all the horrible stuff going on around us or in other countries, and we're like, we have that internal thing. If there is an all-powerful God, why is this happening? same time you know there's so many different teachings out there that explain some of this away or put it under the rug right Right. so you have we have so many different things in our culture to tie into your book yeah well that's what i i hope Uh, basically you know, my my primary objective is to tell a good story. Uh, yes. Story interesting th- that people can identify with, 
characters they can identify with and, and prop problems that the characters have exactly. that they can identify with those um you know it's so much gravy if it stimulates them to think about these issues in their own lives right but you know my primary interest is entertaining of course i mean as an author that is always our primary goal is to entertain our audience right Right. The second goal is to make the audience think. Right. There you go. <laughs> that's it I in mean, a nutshell. Exactly. I mean, that transfers between uh, TV, movies, books, radio. The primary goal is always to entertain. Right. And, and uh, Melissa, what what kind of things do you write? I am a fantasy author. I do a little bit of poetry, a little bit of songwriting again. Um, I have a few short stories coming out that are really make you think, but they're they're not fantasy, but they're just general fiction. So I'm in oh. all over the place as a writer. Well, that's what I write is general fiction. I, I can't uh, pigeonhole it any more than that. Yeah, I mean... You know. I just There's, want to tell a good story. Exactly. I mean, they, we have so many things out there as authors that some things go toward one genre and others just don't fit in a genre, so we call it general fiction. Yeah, they're exactly <laughs> right. Now, you have actually four books out. I um, do. You do, see? I do my research. <laughs> good for you. So we have... The Dogs Barking, which is, I think, gen these are all general fiction. They are all the, general fiction, yeah. Yeah, The ID Paradox and Ye Shall Be As God. So just so our listeners know what other books they can look for. Uh, yeah, it's actually The Id Paradox. Uh, I could kick myself for not having having the, that part of the title in uppercase, lowercase lettering, but, you know, uh, uh, I, and I lost the name of the artist, artist who did it, so uh, I can't change it, but it is the id paradox. Really? Uh, and the dog's barking is a coming-of-age story, or what, you know, literary people called a Bildungsroman, uh, the development of a character, and uh, I actually had one critic mention that it was a legitimate Bildungsroman, which <laughs> I guess that's a must be a German term, but it's just basically a coming of age story uh, mm -hmm. uh, about a child growing up in difficult circumstances in the 1950s, and then being. Uh, thrown into the wild-eyed six, 60s in college <clears throat> and, you know, how he tries to make up for his uh, estranged family. Um, and interestingly enough, he finds the, the last piece of the puzzle in his... Uh, the the dog's barking refers to uh, the protagonist when he was a child. Uh, he grew up in a 
uh, house with no air conditioning, so you know he could hear the dogs in the distance barking. One would bark, and then the other would answer, and then another one farther away would answer. And uh, he, he has a certain sympathy because he feels their loneliness. You know, they're mm-hmm. trying to communicate with each other be, because they're outside, uh, the family is inside, and they're they're lonely. And he is lonely, and and uh, uh, finally finds the last piece of the puzzle that puts his. Uh, character together in back in that sleepy little town on the Mexican border where he grew up and the the sound of those dogs barking in the distance okay so that's what that one's about ah uh the it the uh and ye shall be as gods is uh Boy, that's that's a complex one. It, it, it has a, a lot of uh, metaphor that, uh, but it's basically about a young man whose adopted little sister is uh, terrified of the world around. She's uh, agoraphobic and has. Uh, she is also a violin prodigy. Okay. Uh, and, but uh, she has cut herself off from the world. She just stays in her home with her mother. Uh, and uh, he is trying to figure out what caused her to uh, retreat into her madness this mm-hmm. way. Uh and he, in the process, he experiences uh, um, all kinds of evil, and uh, he is in a hospital with uh, a survivor of the Holocaust, and the okay. survivor tells him his story, and he tries to understand how on earth this could ever have happened. Again, you know, uh, right. innocent suffering, and why? Exactly. I mean, that's one of the more more horrific times of our modern history, if you go back mm-hmm. within the last hundred years. Right. I mean, there's other examples that go back further, but right. that's Slavery. one of our... Yeah. It, it's just horrific. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he... Uh, finally finds the answer uh, again when he's back home. Uh, And the answer is absolutely horrifying. Mm. So I can't say any more than that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we don't want to give away the story. We want the the readers to be intrigued enough to go buy the story. Exactly. So that's that's always our goal. Yeah, right. The Id Paradox is about three friends, uh, Jake, Artie, and Connors, but it focuses on the relationship between Jake and Artie. Uh, Artie is, uh, his last name is Galassos. He was Mexican and came across the border with his family before 
uh, you know, there was all this hoopla about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and he has a special bond with Jake. Jake is a young man who is full of self-doubt, and I, I think Artie kind of adopts him because Artie is, uh, well, uh, again, that uh, the reason for his uh, feeling for Jake is uh, uh, revealed uh, later okay. in the story, and I don't ah. want to give that away either. Right. But it's basically about when they're uh, on a canoe trip after they graduate from high school, they're on a canoe trip through the Big Bend National Park, uh, the Rio Grande River, mm-hmm. and they uh, lose everything in rapids. And, you know, they get more and more desperate because, I mean, there's no one else out there in June. Nobody right. is stupid enough <laughs> except for these three young boys to go out in uh, in the middle of the desert in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's 110 degrees. Uh, uh, there's no moisture anywhere. You can't drink the water in the Rio Grande. It's poison. Right. Uh, so uh, as that desperation builds and builds it comes to an explosive point and Jake uh, finds in himself the uh, feeling of the ability to kill and it just uh, he can't accommodate it 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 uh, and the rest of the story is in part about Jake's coming to terms with that part of that primitive part of himself you can call it the id the old brain the reptilian mm-hmm. part of our brains the fight flight or freeze part of us that just lashes out uh as opposed to the cognitive that you know evaluates um and it asks the question is that part of us right necessary it, it, is it indis- an indispensable part of us? That is true. Because, I mean, it is the origin of uh, a lot of the violence in the world, uh, that part that wants to lash out. And not just physical violence, but verbal violence that, that creates, that causes uh, a great deal of harm in and of itself. Very true. And we have so much violence in the world right now, not just physical. It's so much more verbal now. Yes, it is. Certainly in this country it is. Yeah, this country is very verbal. Other countries very physical. Mm -hmm. But we have violence starting out as children against other children. It's getting to the point we need to rethink what's going on. Right. In your book, I think this one specifically will make people think about that. I do hope so. <laughs> I, I mean, I, anything that makes us think and re-question morals, 
mm-hmm. and what we're teaching their young mm-hmm. is a good thing. Yeah. The second part of, the, of what what happens to Artie is ten times worse than what happens. Artie, in his effort to bring his uncle across the border, uh, he, his uncle has been forced to work for a drug cartel, and uh, the drug cartel finds out about the plan, and, and Artie is... Uh, taken captive by them and tortured and and winds up in a a horrible, horrible Mexican prison. And uh, part of the plot is Jake and Connor's uh, uh, plot to uh, rescue him Mm -hmm. uh, from from those horrible conditions in that jail. Yeah, rescue missions... Jails, yeah. yeah. Th- that's the making of a wonderful story to be told and to entertain. Well, thank you. And the the second part is actually uh, Artie's treatment for severe, complex uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. And it's told from the point of view of the psychiatrist who's treating him. And that's a very unique uh, take. And here's why. We talk about PTSD we, a lot more with our veterans than we do other people, but mm-hmm. anyone can have PTSD. And we normally hear it from the family's point of view. We never hear it too much from the patient's point of view because mm-hmm. they can't word it right, but right. we never hear it from the psychologist's point of view. Well, I, I have to... Um give a lot of credit to uh, the person who wrote uh, Judith Lewis Herman is her name Uh, she wrote a book about treating PTSD and it was uh, I I, uh, have to admit that I took a lot from her I learned a lot and uh, took a lot from her book well that's a wonderful thing to do and that's the best form of flattery you can give another author is to learn from their teachings. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, to use it, hopefully, to uh, communicate with a lot of other people. Exactly. I'm that's what will happen. Yes, we take a book from an author that's writing non, yeah, nonfiction, we put it into a fictional setting to bring their teachings full circle mm-hmm. to reach a grander audience. Right, exactly. Exactly. That, and so cool. that uh, uh, that le- led me to uh, finally to uh, uh, take up that play, that one-act play that I wrote that I developed into a full-length play to mm-hmm. novelize it, uh, the uh, Song for the Forsaken. Well, see, everything comes back full circle, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. So where, other than buying your books on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and other online retailers, where can our listeners find you? Now, on my website, com. 
Okay. Uh, I would urge people, because I've also written seven full-length plays, a uh, children's story, uh, so I would like them to experience that as well. You have now a my, lot, of, lot of things to write. <laughs> <laughs> now my dog is uh, requesting attention from me. <laughs> See, but she's kind of, she's a quiet one. Well, normally mine is, but you know, she had to let me know someone was here that shouldn't be here because you know I put my light on that says on air, be quiet, don't knock, <laughs> and she's fine if everyone so, follows the rules. So she had to to warn you. Yes. <laughs> Like, I don't see them waving and trying to get in. I'm like, okay, seriously? <laughs> but it's okay. She's doing her job, so I love her. Uh, oh, incidentally, uh, you can also get uh, Song for the Forsaken uh, here in Charlotte, at least, at Park Road Books, which is one of the few independent bookstores in Charlotte and a very good one. Uh, I'm going to be back there April the 2nd, uh, featuring my book, Song for the Forsaken. I did the id paradox Ooh. last time, and, uh, you know, the others, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, and ye shall be as gods, and uh, uh, the dog's barking. But it was primarily the id paradox. So I will be wow. back there April 2nd at 7 o'clock. Uh, awesome. I love it when authors tell me where we can find you at, like book signings and stuff. That's always awesome. Great. I uh, hope to have a good size audience. I think I will. Oh, you probably will. And I wish you all the best because really book signings are awesome. You don't just get to meet the author and get an autograph and also pick up an awesome book. You get to learn little tidbits about the story if you actually talk to the author. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. well, I I really like for people to tell me what my books are about. Uh, I, I find that just as interesting as writing them to see what other people think about them. Oh yeah, because we when we get feedback, then we can make the uh, story so much better. Mm-hmm. But also yeah. it can ignite our creative process and lead into another book. Uh, well, I'm working on another one now. Uh, actually, it's a fictionalized version of my father's family's emigration from Poland to the United States. Ooh. And that is, boy, that's difficult because I don't know anything about peasant life in Poland in the 19th century. So I'm really have to uh, taxing my imagination on this one. Yeah, it's when you get that one done, let me know. That's okay. something that I, that interests me as a reader. So okay, wonderful. Yes. I will definitely do that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. It, it has, and I welcome you back any time in future. Okay. Thanks so much. And happy reading, everyone. Have a good good evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.